p.m. Every Sunday, town's always about the culture. Do out in sculpture, recording every Friday. So here it our way, no need to catch a flight away. Stay tuned for our take. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of After Dinner Conversations. We are here. We are live. Theoretically not live because it's recording, but nonetheless. Make sure you like, rate, like, rate, and subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, wherever you get podcasts, After Dinner Conversations is available to you. Brothers, how are we doing, man? Um, things are going well. I had to go pick up my cap and gown yesterday. So, mm, seriously, you know, that that means that the time is coming. So you know that was a a great feeling to to be done, but to also be able to you know walk through campus, which I wasn't able to do. You know, even really this time last year, you know, at, at full capacity. So, so much stuff has happened over the course of the past two years. But even if you look at you know the past three years or so, but. You know, I'm just super grateful to sort of be where I am right now um, and, and enjoying the moment. Mm-hmm. Congrats, bro. Congrats, bro. Congrats. Thank you. Thank um, you. I'm just really tired. Um, just pushing on, like grinding out the end of the semester. Simple things, just work and everything. But definitely tired today. Um, and probably take a nap after we're done recording. So that's about it. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. Um, I'm doing well. Um Back recently, I went to a Good Friday match, which was good. Um, other than that, I'm straight. Just something weird with the weather where it starts off nice to begin the week. Monday and Tuesday is always sunny and warm. Wednesday, Thursday, cloudy. And then Friday comes, it's like, eh. So I don't know what's going on with the weather. But other than that, I am doing well. And we're going to go segment straight into cocktail hour because you already know what time it is. You already know who won the championship. <laughs> The brackets were not busted fully. Me and Mike had UConn loyalty. Corey did not. <laughs> bro, I was doing I was doing so good the first two rounds, bro. When I look at the first two rounds, I'm like, damn, thank God I had UConn, bro, because that was Elite Eight, uh, Final Four, and Championship carry all the way, <laughs> finishing the nice uh, 90-something percentiles. I forgot you can see that at work. So one of my guys pulled aside. He was like, Steven, I saw in your bracket you were in the 99 percentile. Cause my, my remember my name is Hoops Profit, and I forgot mm-hmm. it was there. He's like, that's amazing. Wow, Hoops Profit. And he was really just sitting there like <laughs> I'm like, my bracket was mid. It's just you. <laughs> but I'm gonna take the praise when it comes, man. Um, but yeah, UConn has secured their fifth championship for the men's 16 all-time between men and women's for basketball. Uh, was this the most dominant UConn basketball run ever for the men's? Um, I can't think back to all of the tournament runs, right? I just think back to what 14, 14 11. 11, and even mm-hmm. what 04, or somewhat, mm-hmm. yeah. But I think, in terms of where UConn was ranked going into the tournament, right? As in, I think they were officially unranked going, unranked. Into, the, uh, yep. going into the tournament, uh. Four or five seed? Four. Four seed. Four seed. Four seed. Mm-hmm. So, but I think the way they played their opponents, um, and again, obviously you could argue, you know, who they played versus who other teams played or whatever the case is, but the way they dominated opponents, particularly in the championship, final four and elite eight, um, even somewhat the sweet 16, but I just can't think of anything, you know, greater in those recent, you know, four championships, three or four championships that I can think of. So shout out to tonight to the Yukonski scene. Facts. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, man. It definitely reinvigorated some uh pride <laughs> that we haven't felt in a long time as us Yukon alumni and students. Um I think it probably is the most, I mean, for UConn men, it might be, I'm. this is only just from like point differential standpoint. I mean, they were beating every yeah. team with triple digits. If people want to get mad and say, we ain't playing nobody, well, you should blame every top three. Blame them trash teams yeah, who lost early. Region, who lost to all these under these lower seats. Like, what do you want us to do? Furman. Like, we played San Diego State. If exactly, Furman, like, they, they, they lost and we didn't. Um, we played Gonzaga. They got we beat them just like we beat everyone. We beat, else. I think like, the, our biggest mark, I think, because they're the highest ranked team we play, and we beat them by the biggest mark. We beat them by like 30. Yeah, like 
We was trying to hear nothing yeah. about no Dream to me in the post. Like, come on. Oh, yes, no one clinging. We ain't trying to hear about all that. But there's, uh, there's and there's already the questions about Gonzaga once they get into tournament time anyway in sure. terms of their strength oh, yeah. schedule. So mm-hmm. yeah, every year they're waiting for it to happen, and does it happen? No, it does not. No, um, tough. But I will say for UConn though, yeah, of course UConn's a blue blood. Um, no question about it. I don't think there's even as far as the championship run over the last twenty five years. I don't think any school has come close to that type of run no. in the modern era. Uh, I don't think we can recognize Jim Crow era championships. Uh, we're gonna talk about. I'm gonna talk. I'm glad you got to it, Mike. But Please. go ahead. Thankfully, I felt about themselves Celtics championship. God, God bless Bill Russell and everything he's done for the world. But come on, like, we gotta, like you know, our modern day championships got to do something. Uh, got to have some weight to it, uh, especially the recent one. But UConn did a great job. Dan Hurley knocked out all the um, doubts, all the complaints about his coaching over the past few years. Um, shout out to Jordan Hawkins. Shout out to Sonogo. Shout out to Joey California. Shout out to Tristan Newton. Uh, shout out to Caravan. Shout out to the whole team, man. Like, really oh, Andre Jackson. They they came and like they really showed up and they really like executed their game plan perfectly against each team. They all had different challenges. Even the championship game, like shout out to San Diego State because like they put up a lot of points for a college team. Like you know, if we we were just we just were more dominant, but they had a good game. They probably would have beat most other teams in the championship had they had they had got there. Um. But yeah, man. Also, also, especially shout out to Jordan Hawkins. I know today he announced that he's going to the he's going to the NBA draft. Yeah, he could he declared for an NBA draft. So you know, Which shout out good. to him. Hopefully, he's a good uh, draft pick for NBA team ne- next year. Um, but yeah, man. Shout out to UConn. I'm just very happy to see. You. Even though I'm upset it didn't happen during when we were there as students, Bro. we couldn't be there in the chaos that was happening on campus. But you know, just happy for the school in general. Less than two years removed. Hurts even more. Right? It's even worse. Like, even worse. I thought we were there like two years ago. Literally, like 2021, it was like yesterday, low-key. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think easily UConn's most dominant run for the men's, I would argue is probably the most dominant in history that's post mm-hmm. oh, a sure. civil rights movement. I, I can't remember what's going on during the UCLA won like eight titles in a row. So I don't and I don't know what their margin of victory was, but I can trust they probably dominate everybody. So anything besides those runs, I think that's easily the most dominant run. And I think it's just a level of poise. Like even when we were down and games were kind of close, like team was never rattled. As soon as one, three went in a second one went in and then a block came and then snow on the post. Like it was barbecue chicken the whole, the whole time. Um, and I'm glad that UConn has this kind of like burst of energy coming from the men's basketball. Cause I already know the women's basketball are going to come just as hard next year. And it's going to be interesting sure. to see how they, how they settle in with everybody coming back from injury. Um, but I think that's the most dominant run. I think UConn is without question a, a blue blood. And I've never understood why people – I think people hate on UConn being blue blood. I have n- numerous reasons. One, I think it's because every other school that has a blue blood is south of the Mason-Dixon line, and they just can't believe some small school in Connecticut is this good at basketball. Because if you think about – I think the Northeast has like a more much more of a basketball region. I think that's fair to say. And well, when it most, comes to, when it comes to skills skill players, yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah. But I think when you think about the most dominant college basketball programs, none of them are in the Northeast. Like there's respectable like teams like um, St. John's, obviously Syracuse. Like there's teams that people respect and know them for like being basketball places because you know, especially New York. But most of these college teams that are up there. And I, I get I don't know if I could count Georgetown because it's down there. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's right, it's around it's around yeah. the board. Yeah. So it's yeah. uh but most of these teams, right? The Kentuckys of the world, the Kansas, the Indianas, UCLA, they're everywhere else but the Northeast. And I don't know why, but it's been like this type of bias where like, uh, well, UConn's not in the contention every year. I'm like, is that a participation trophy you're counting? Because I know contention and rings were the same thing. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I just never understood that conversation. And I'm glad whoever did that graphic at Fox Sports, whatever, showed that UConn since 1999 had more championships than all these teams. You're like, oh, yeah, Kansas is, Kansas is definitely a blue blood. Kansas has two in the last 25 years. And the rest is from what? Civil rights movement? They showed a graphic that said Indiana – has not won a uh, NCAA championship in 1987. I'm not respecting their basketball team. They don't even have names on the back, and they're still chasing titles. I wasn't even bored. Crack era 1987? I'm just playing. But still, like, look at Corey's face. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I think it's without question that they're in blue blood. And I think the blue blood conversation is obviously geared towards men's basketball. Because if you include women, it's game over. Um, but, you know, again, UK – 
great basketball program. Only two titles since then. Kansas, only two. I think Villanova has, what, one or two, maybe? Two, two J-Rate. Yeah, I think Duke and each Duke and UNC got three, and obviously they're legacy programs, so they have four, five, six, whatever after that. So they're always going to be in the mix. But if you if there's only it has to be a set number of blue bloods, y'all better go kick out Kansas. But I, mean, I, mean, I mean, it's always it's always going to be tough looking at because they'll look at it as the Big East isn't a Power Five, right? And so I think, but some, at some again, point it was. I mean, some from, from a some basketball people, perspective, some, from basketball, they typically yeah. count it as a power six, right? That's the mm-hmm. six one in mm-hmm. in the debate. But I think to to that point, especially with the Big East changing its dynamic in the past ten years, right? When they did the split, and now it's Catholic schools plus UConn. So I think you know once the Big East solidifies its identity, and I think UConn is a part of that fabric, and I'm so glad they were able to get back in. Right. Because I think that does a lot for recruiting. That does a lot for the program. That does a lot for the school in general to be back in the Big East Conference. And I think doing that will hopefully help solidify UConn in that blue blood conversation. Because I think it's hard to do it from the American standpoint. Yeah, it's impossible. So but I think now solidifying it, solidifying all of our programs within, you know, the Big East context, hopefully will put away any doubters. But our only title in the American was 2014, if not mistaken, right? Were we were we officially in the in the American in 2014, right? I, I think can't we, remember. We Did only we... had a seven, eight-year run in the American, if I'm not mistaken. So the 14, because so when... My, my started when 15 then, huh? See, that's why we were cursed, yo, because we joined that dumbass conference. Because 14 was Shabazz, right? Yeah. yeah. They were still in the Big and East. Shabazz was, right at, was Shabazz right after Kimba? Three years. Shabazz yeah. was a freshman when Kemba uh, won it, and so Shabazz has two rings. Yeah, twenty eleven okay. and twenty fourteen. But what I'm trying to think, what I'm trying to think of is when did Kemba and the Madison Square Garden thing with Kemba no, and the step back that's was the big what, 20, 2011. 2011. 2011? Okay. Yeah, twenty eleven. So I don't know what happened in between those three years. I can't remember exactly when we made it, when we transitioned to the American. But it wasn't it wasn't a long run. I don't think it's been a full ten years. Really? Because I feel like Shabazz played in, in a Big East Come, But to that point, like you said, he was still there in 2011 when that all happened. So mm-hmm. I might just be thinking this. about earlier in his career. American Athletic Conference, right? Yep. Damn it. So seven years from 2020 was 2013. So they should have been in there. So they, they might have been in the American when, when yep, one they, they, they joined, they joined 2013. They joined okay. 2013. So, yeah. I mean, oh, that's fair. I just I, – I struggle with the the mindset. Like, even when UConn hasn't won titles, they've had, obviously, teams that were ranked that were pretty good. But, I mean, when I look at some of these other schools that are blue bloods, I mean, I've seen, I seen Duke losing the first round to Lehigh and Mercer. and it's tough right i think we got to be consistent in the big east because even like you said if we joined the 2013 that 2014 Mm -hmm. team was still a big east team yeah right yeah yes we were in the american conference but from a recruiting standpoint for shabazz Mm -hmm. playing with kemba that was still a big east program yes but Mm -hmm. i would argue this right the teams that aren't blue bloods or the teams that are blue bloods if they came to the big east they're getting smacked in my opinion because they mm. could, they were struggling against Creighton, who was a sixty. Creighton damn yeah. near made the the um, championship game. They could have um, not followed San Diego State at the end. So it's like I yeah. think the Big East has always had like these very rough house basketball programs. When you think about Pittsburgh, when you think about I mean when it used to be there at the time Louisville, but like Georgetown, like all these iconic Marquette. basketball type programs, Marquette especially. So. I mean, we're going to see West Virginia as West, no, West Virginia is an ACC now, right? Yeah, but I think, yeah. but I think again to to that point you were just making, Stephen. I think had the Biggie stayed with that landscape, original, I don't think they would have been able to question UConn because the competition that we would have played year in year out would have been top tier. But oh, I think yeah. the fact that so many schools have left mm-hmm. within the past ten to fifteen years, then that's sort of why there's even a question on the table, in my opinion. Yeah. I think, and this is the last point for the UConn, I think the year UConn won in, I want to say in 2011, but I might be wrong, it might have been 2014. One of those years, or in between those years, the Biggies had like, I think, eight or nine teams represented in the uh, in the, in the the big tournament. 
which is crazy because how do you have eight teams that are like, like you know, tournament worthy? But that's beside the point. Congrats to UConn. I'm wearing my UConn shirt for that reason. I've been flexing all week. I told y'all y'all going to hate me. Um, yeah, that's all I got for that. Uh, moving on, the other side of basketball, looking at the women's game, LSU won the championship. I think we was, we was potting when they was playing. Um, they beat Iowa, I think it was like 102 to 85. They smacked them. Uh, there's been, I wouldn't even call it controversy. I was just a lot of discussions surrounding what happened after the championship game. Uh, the first was uh, Angela Reese uh, taunting. Uh, yeah, I just forgot that. Caitlin Clark. I almost said Ian. I don't know why. But Caitlin Clark. <laughs> um, and then afterwards, Jill Biden, Jill Biden, excuse me, inviting Iowa to join them at the White House, I guess, along with LSU. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Um, it's a, it was a terrible offer, an idea. Um, with all the respect to the First Lady, um, losers don't get invited to the White House. It's never been tradition in any sport on any level uh, for that to happen. Um, I think that Angel Reese, and I'm not sure about other LSU players or coaches or staff, but I, I think Angel Reese is justified in declining that invitation, justified and in standing against it. And um, and I'm going to support her and not accepting the apology because she doesn't really have to. I mean, she doesn't want to. Um, I think that people see a – I think people think that, oh, she's a first lady and, you know, she gets all her due respect as she should. And that Angel Reese should just, you know, accept it and move forward and, you know, there, there's always a question about what people should do, but I think she has every right to choose what she want, how she wanted to respond in that situation. Um, and if she felt like it was a, an inappropriate request by or statement by the first lady, then, you know, I'm not going to sit here and kind of disparage her for, you know, using her own voice and standing on her own principles for that. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think I was very, I, I didn't understand the, invitation to to Iowa at all to Mike's point right you know folks that come in second place you know lose to call them losers call them second place you know call them runner-up whatever you call them have never been you know invited to what has become sort of this prestigious invitation to the White House to be able to meet the president and the first family and I think we should continue to to keep it that way because at that point shoot we're gonna start inviting everybody to the White House if you you know just start opening that door so I think, you know, it it just it didn't make sense um to me why that request or that excuse me, that invitation was even extended. I think her uh, press secretary tried to clean it up and say that she wanted to invite them to settle all the progress they've made since Title Nine or something. Or like some it was something along those lines. And I think uh, I just don't like even when you hear it a second time, you're like, uh, what? Um, I think it's, it's since been rescinded, or like I think Joe Biden officially came out with a statement saying LSU is invited to the White House and include Iowa, and I think LSU accepted as of now. But I just think it was, it was just I don't know, it's just dumb. Like <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how else to describe it. It's like some, in my opinion, right, and this is how I always do the NCAA tournament, like. You know, when you win your region, right, that is your reward for winning your region. Like, you won three games. You know, you beat the best of the best that were within your pool of 16 teams. And wherever part of the country you're in, you won that. And you get your – they get, like, a Final Four little trophy and things. They, I'm pretty sure they cut the net, if I'm not mistaken. Like, they get, like, a plaque. I don't think they get the trophy trophy. But they get a plaque, and they cut down the net as if it was the championship game. So, I'm like, when you win your bracket in the Final Four – in essence, you've already like achieved something, right? Like they count Final Four appearances on banners at almost every university, so you've already won something. So you losing a championship game sucks, but you've came this far, you came up short, and it's okay. I think inviting them, which to Angel's Reese, Angel, 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 excuse me, Reese's credit, is just disrespectful because you're like, I worked this hard. I know what this reward is. This reward is the same reward that everybody's gotten since 19-whatever, since we've been playing tournaments. And because this team fought hard, they can come? That doesn't make any sense. It's not even like Iowa, like, lost at the buzzer. Lost by two, lost by four. You lost by a damn near 15. 
and they scored the most points in women's history in a championship game. Like, I just it doesn't make any sense to me. And I think this is when I get upset at casuals of sports because they can get off comments like this that if you just paid attention to your surroundings and had some reality check, you would never say anything this foolish. But and and to Iowa's credit, who the hell wants to go to the White House in second place? That that just seems like a waste of time. Like, oh, thanks for trying. I don't want to be reminded of my L every day and then go in front of a bunch of people I don't know in the White House and say, hey, um, we're gonna shake our hands. Like I almost hate when you have to like collect your silver medal at the World Cup after losing the championship game in front of everybody while the team's about to celebrate in front of you with confetti and a gold trophy. Like I rather y'all just send me that in the meal. I'm not trying to celebrate this with, with the, millions of people watching. Yeah, everybody sees your dejected faces and you you damn near cried already. Your eyes are red and you're walking across the screen. The camera's like this in your face. No, let me just go home. I lost. It's okay. I'll take my L in peace. But I'm glad you know. You know, LSU still going to White House and having the opportunity to go, which is nice. I'm glad LSU won, and it's going to be interesting what they look like next year because um, they're not doing that to UConn. That's all I'm saying. Um, and the final, actually, I got two more things quickly. But third thing on the news is the death of Cash App, Cash App's founder in San Fran. I forgot his name. I should have wrote it down. But um, the founder of Cash App was found stabbed to death outside at like 2 a.m. Um, and coincidentally, I believe that the U.S. government, this is not a conspiracy theory podcast, uh, launched their own form of cash app, I think literally like within 24 hours after. So we won't focus on the conspiracy theory part. We're just thoughts on, I guess, the cash app founder of his death. And I guess if you have any thoughts regarding peer to peer payments and I guess things of that nature. Um, it's always sad to, you know, I thought it's a very sad um, way to go out, uh, being stabbed violently. Um, so definitely prayers to him and his family um, for that untimely death. Um, I think I, I seen, once I seen the report, I don't think there was any, at least as far as I know, as far as latest information, I don't think there's any motivation from the silent who did it. I'm not sure what, what the I reason was. I don't think, yeah, it's, it's just random. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that helps the conspiracy theories or not, but I'm just saying. I don't know, well, also, me. why was you know you yeah. started asking like why was he out at two a.m.? Like, of course, there should you should be able to be out at two a.m. But it's like, why was he what was he doing outside two a.m. with no security? Nothing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Hey. We a lot of information that we don't know as we're talking about this and recording this. Um, but at the same time, as far as the U.S. cash up thing, I haven't heard of that. Um, I don't think most people would use it. Um, because I think people have a, a well, I think a lot of American citizens has a strong distrust, no matter what your cultural background is, as far as American institutions. So a lot of times they don't like to use anything that's government run or government backed or supported. Um, I'm not sure how much it would take root. I mean, people already use Venmo and Zelle and Cash App. Like those things are very, pretty strongly grounded. I, I remember the days it was only Cash App <laughs> back in the day, like, you know, it's what, seven, however many years ago. Facts. Uh, but yeah, that's, those are my only thoughts. So, so the name of it is called FedNow, and then underneath it says instant payments, and it says the Reserve Bank System is launching it FedNow in July, and is a movement towards getting rid of physical money and having digital currency. Oh, so this is their way to get people to well, for yeah. them in position to get people to get. Uh, is that a, a meme format with big white text, bro? Yeah, of course, bro. You know, it's a meme format, bro. <laughs> and two white hands and two Benjamins, bro. Say, say cheese. Say like, no, that's not what the source was, but. But I don't know who's going to use that. I don't think people are comfortable with that, you know, a government-run money exchange system where, you know, Europe is literally, I'm just paying, you know, for you for gas, but I don't want the government to store or know that information. Well, don't worry about what I'm spending my $30 to. <laughs> like, you know, I feel like people will have that stance, you know? Just, yeah, I agree. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about, right? I mean, I think from the peer-to-peer payment mindset, we're definitely getting away from physical currency, right? And transitioning to to digital currency. I think, you know, even at this point in time, 2023, I don't think you, I would need, I mean, I carry cash and that's sort of a personal preference of mine, but I don't think you would need cash to get through a month, right? I mean, if I'm thinking about just my monthly activities to pay rent, to pay somebody, if I split a check or split, you know, an Uber or whatever the case is, I don't think I would need cash to to do that um at this point and so again obviously there's pros and cons to a fully digital currency you know mindset 
right? You know, some people just keep swiping and keep swiping. And, you know, there's there's the debt crisis that comes mm-hmm. with digital currency. There's, you know, the safety part as we look at, you know, protecting, you know, accounts and uh, protecting wealth and things like that for, for individuals, especially vulnerable populations, right? Older folks that might not have the, you know, the acumen when it comes to technology to be able to protect their, their resources there. So there's definitely a lot to think about when it comes to, to peer-to-peer payment. I think when it comes to the uh, Cash App founder, I think it's definitely tragic. To Mike's point, it's definitely a sad way to go out. I think a lot of times we think of the glitz and glamour of, you know, creating apps and, you know, being at the leading edge of a new technology or a new innovation, but we forget the the safety aspect of it, right? I mean, just as many people love you for being this innovator, there's that many people that hate you for quote unquote stealing their idea that they claim they had that nobody ever, that you never told nobody about, right? So, you know, there's there's just as many haters there as well. And we often don't talk about that part. And I think this definitely shines a light on just safety in general, but understanding that, hey, you being the, the richest person in your neighborhood isn't all fun and games, right? You know, you, you yeah. gotta watch your back. You gotta you know, keep look. So it, it, it's sad to, to see and prayers to, to him and his, you know, family uh, as, as well. Yeah, I don't have much to add. Definitely prayers to him and his family uh, and condolences as well. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's almost like just weird how that all that transpires. And like Corey said, you know, you, you don't you think you're safe, but you never know when you're really safe. So hopefully um, people keep this in mind when they're traveling or going out late at night that everything isn't sweet. Um, moving on to the last part of Cocktail Hour, uh, Hulu announces they're doing a Freak Nick documentary. Now, I want to know who approved of this and also want to know whose footage they are using. But I'm very curious to see, are y'all going to be watching the Freak Nick documentary? Um, I just hope they do it justice. Uh, so I don't know if folks have seen, I believe it's MTV True Life. Um, that I haven't more, seen it. Yeah, MTV True Life, I want to say it's who did the one that I've seen. It's about 45 minutes in length. It's I would say it's a it's a solid documentary, right? You know, the the way True Life did uh MTV is they follow, I think, three or four individuals per episode and get three or four different perspectives on what's happening. And so they literally follow four attendees. I want to say it was to 93's Freak Nick. Not sure of the exact year, but they followed three people. One one of them I know was a member of a fraternity, so they followed him as he went to the step show and him and his boys came down in like an RV or whatever. And then they followed, I think, two or three other, two women maybe and another guy or something. But they did a really good job because they were Mm. there on the ground using footage from what was actually happening. So I'm interested to see how, how they will do it in retrospect to, you know, sort of just take accumulation of clips and whose perspectives they'll get for, you know, the B-roll and thing, and things like that. So I just hope they they do a good job. But I am excited to see these cultural moments, you know, be put to to film because I think you you need that, right? Because that's how yeah. younger generations will, will be able to learn about things. So. About you, Mike? Yeah, I'm watching for sure. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> it's going to be... It's gonna be more interesting to see how Gen Z reacts to it because it's something that way before their time. Um, and they always process things from the early 2090s a lot differently than everybody, but I definitely watch it. Just interested to see what the whole background culture is like. Just to, you know, everyone, everyone loves a good documentary. Yeah, that's a fact. Um, I'm gonna let y'all watch it first and let me know how it is. No, I'm gonna uh, watch it and he can let us know how it is. I got that you. sounds more Look, appropriate. I, yeah. I'll definitely watch it and let y'all know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think depending on how they're telling the story is important. Like, I, I, I want it, I don't know how I want it, but I just don't want it to be boring. And like some informational, like shows like Corey says, shows a clip from the past and then somebody's just sitting and talking the whole time. Like, I don't know if I'm, if I care that much because I've heard enough stories from grown folks about what they were doing at Freaknik. So you got to give me a little bit more. Like maybe all of them, they have the photos and videos, but like you got to make it something richly. So we'll see how that goes. Um, let's move on to the main topic, which kind of segues into what we just talked about. Um, pictures, right? Um, pictures, videos, content. Um, I think more than ever, there's always a physical or visual aspect of what we do, what we see. We want to document our journey and like see how everything plays out. So 
I think my first question to start off is how often do you capture the moment? And that could be you on vacation and taking trips. This could be, you know, us hanging out or you hanging out with your other boys, parties, events. Like how often do you find yourself grabbing your phone or grabbing um, a digital camera or one of those? I forgot what I'm Disposable, disposable, disposable. Cameras. Thank you. Not disposable. Is it disposable ones that print out too? Oh, you mean uh, the the Polaroids? Polaroid. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm blanking, but yeah. How often do you find yourself in that moment of trying to capture everything with a picture? Um, probably a lot less than I should, to be honest. I think you know I've always had that internal debate. You know, how do I live in the moment versus how do I capture the moment? I think I've always tried to put being in the moment as like the first, as the priority. And so even when I do carry a camera, I think I did senior year, I tried to carry my camera to most places I went. Mm -hmm. But even still, that was more so for me to film what was happening as opposed to me putting myself as the primary person in, in what was going on, right? And so it was more to be able to look back on, hey, where did I go? What did I do? As opposed to, hey, let me take pictures with my people while I'm here. So I think, you know, there's there's different ways to to go about it. I think after doing that senior year, I realized that I probably did miss out sometimes on being the action, right? One, I was mm-hmm. trying to protect my camera, right? I was yeah, like, thanks. you know, like little, little stuff like that. So I've always chosen to be present in the moment, but I definitely don't want to ever say, hey, I wish I would have taken a picture. So I think one of the things that I'm trying to do now maybe is start, hey, let's take a group picture. Like if I'm out somewhere, like let's let's take a picture. Like I don't mm-hmm. need to take a picture of the food, the sign in front <laughs> of the building. But hey, you know, um, and I think the way, you know, when we go out with some of our mentors and things like that, the way they take a picture before we leave at the end just mm-hmm. to sort of capture the moment is probably something that I want to start prioritizing. It. And I think that's a good balance to remember the night, but not to remember every scene as, as it's happening um, in, in real time. Yeah. What you thinking, Mike? Yeah, I'm a, I'm just recording on this. I have too much to add. I'm the same way. Um, I'm trying to be like uh, older brother, Theo. He records everything <laughs> everywhere <laughs> um, and takes a lot of pictures. But yeah, I'm trying to move into that phase because just getting older. Also, just wanting to have more of a um, treasure trove to show my kids one day, like, hey, this mm. was your pops when he was doing this, that, and the third, different places, you know, having fun, stuff like that. And there's no reason for us not to. These, these very advanced cameras on our phones. Um, and everything, you know, not everything you capture has to be shared, too. Like, I, hopefully, you know, I'm talking about capturing things just to have a yeah. deeper your photo album, memory log, something that my memories or the algorithm can just show me in my face. Oh, this is what you were doing two years ago. This is what you were doing in, you know, Los Angeles or Atlanta. This is when you took the trip out to, you know, Hartford. I don't know why the first city came to my head. But, you know, just like you play stuff like that. But I just really yeah. want to, I really want to just detail more things. Just capture moments with your friends because... Like, you know, the only thing that's consistent is change. You'll never know when, you know, life can be different. Friendships can be different. Places could be different. Situations can change. And it's nice to just have some memories of what things were in those moments. I feel you on that. I think I, I, similar to y'all, well, I think I do a terrible job at it. And also I feel like sometimes I'm like, oh, somebody else else took a picture or video, like send that to me. Like, (laughs) I'm going to use that as my documentation too when 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 we flash back to this moment. And I feel like I think sometimes when I have to like take a picture, I always want it to just be seamless. Like I almost want like somebody to be in the corner, take a picture and it shows like, look at this picture of y'all having fun. And I'm like, yeah, I feel like sometimes when I grab my phone to take a picture, it disrupts the energy in the room. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we got to get ready. Let's take a picture and then come back. Like, okay, what were we doing? What were we talking about? Or this, that, and the third. And so it, it, it I like, sometimes I just like how the ambience and the vibe of a room is. It's like, man, like, I want to live in this moment and I want to capture this. I don't even want to capture from picture. I just want to like to get like what my eyes see, like not even me in the picture, like what I saw almost. I wish I had like a camera on my eyes or something like a lens, but it'll, it'll be here soon. See, oh, you, for sure. Some, uh, I mean, I, we can engineer one, but then yeah. we got, we get into the ethics of that. Um, so I know I was looking at the Nike thing where they had like fast moving lenses or something like that. And they were saying that was a Sharing gun, but whatever, going back to uh, taking pictures, <laughs> I think, I've gotten a little bit better of doing that. I think sometimes when I go out or just 
having something for myself or like, hey, I remember I was here. And I think, you know, iPhones and Samsung both do a good job of saying, hey, this is your location when you were here a year ago or something like that. Um, but I think I find myself more just, you know, when I go out with people, somebody's like, oh, let's take a group picture. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Like, you know, because I'm not as like, it's really just not in my head as much as it should be. And somebody takes a picture and, or somebody's taking a video and it's like, all right, cool. And, then, you know, everybody usually at this point disperses it pretty easily, put it in a group chat or whatever. And I like that. But I do feel sometimes when I'm in those moments, I might feel just uncomfortable just taking a picture. I don't know how to explain it. Like, it's almost like I wasn't even trying to take a picture. I just kind of want to be in the background and exist mm-hmm. and watch everything happen. I don't want you to see me. With my beer looking crazy, my fro wilding, and we we drinking. I got my whole drink in my head. I'm like, I don't want everybody to see all that. Like, just just tell them I was there. They know what time it is. Like, exactly. <laughs> so I guess and, and, that... and picture pictures be too high resolution nowadays, right? I feel like they back do. in the day, you used to be able to take pictures, and if you ain't get a cut in like two weeks, you were still fine because you could barely see it because the the picture was blurry in and of itself. Nowadays, the joint be crystal clear. They can tell when one hair strand is yep. not where it's supposed to be. So that definitely gives you, like, you you think about it more as opposed mm-hmm. to, I'm sure folks did earlier on in time. So do you feel that like that is for y'all? Like, y'all, do you think, like, damn, I'm not, this is not my my favorite fit or my best fit or I, I can get a cut or something like that? Because usually when you try, you know you're going to be taking pictures, you try to have things together, but sometimes you just go out. Like you ain't get a cut in four weeks. You're like, you'll pull up. You're like, fine. Like you're not even thinking like, oh, I might have to take a picture. And I think maybe women are more conscious of that than men. Dudes just pull up. I'm like, yeah, I'm here. Like here I am. So does that happen to y'all? Like do y'all feel photogenic when you go out or photo conscious or anything like that? I de- I definitely think I'm more aware of it, right? I, I wouldn't say that it it's hindering me from taking pictures necessarily. But I think, you know, the fact that I even – do think about it, it proves that it is you know somewhere in the back of my head mm-hmm. yeah um I'm both for it. i mean you know what i mean both. like it's not like you're scared to take the picture but it's kind of like uh, i wasn't really trying to be like flicking up photos today i was just trying to be cruising yeah i guess it, it might be just a subjective thing just how just the level of comfort that you have being in front of a camera um I don't say I'm uncomfortable taking pictures. Maybe I'm just too particular about it. I mean, like, like I, said, Steven, I would rather prefer like I would know ahead of time. And mm-hmm. it's not so like if we're going out in general, we're going, everyone's putting on a fit. Just a yeah. natural adulthood. You put on a fit, you're looking good, you wanna do whatever. If we're for like, if I'm like, all right, we're gonna go out, we're gonna catch some flicks, and then we're gonna hit the hit whatever we're gonna go, then it's like, all right, I need to prepare to be like exactly. For it's different for different people, but like you know, man, if you get your stances in your head, you know what background mm-hmm. you want, you know, type you of. Yeah, make sure you got a shirt that's gonna vibe with it. Like, okay, I'm, I want to wear this, and you want everything to be working out. Yeah, for sure. And I, and this is I'm not gonna get ahead. It's kind of goes towards a later a later question, but mm-hmm. also I think that just our culture, like our social media, right? I think that people are more particular about their image a lot and just like what goes into it and like what kind of pictures that you would or would not take to just taking pictures for memories and taking pictures like, all right, I'm going to go share this out to the people or for whoever. So that, and I mean, to the point of social media, right. When you go, like we go back and you see the pictures we even took when we was like an undergrad and you're like, damn, I look crazy. But you know, of course you're going to do that in any time period. Like we're going to age 10 plus years. We're going to look back and be like, Man, I thought I was flying that button down. That was so mid, or like, but like maybe laugh at it, but like no, like in your head, you think about it, like now nah, it still flies. Just times have changed, but mm-hmm. like how much, like how much did that even play into the role? Of like, okay, you know it's gonna be on social media. Like Corey said, now it's high res. They can see when your fades off by a micrometer, and you're like, man, like, can I get my? Should I be taking pictures? Or should I only take pictures when I know I'm at that point? And do you think that? level of perception we have about social media is like better or worse for society um i mean i think the fact that a lot of this stuff goes to social media immediately i don't know if it allows again i don't i don't know the psychology behind it i'm not a psychologist i don't know but i think there was something really impactful and really beautiful about taking a picture, printing it out, that picture going into somebody's photo album, mm-hmm. you not seeing it for 25 years, then you pulling sure. up over coffee and then you reliving that moment. Yeah. To some extent, you can't relive a moment if you're constantly living it. 
mm-hmm. in, in in my opinion, right? So if I'm able to go to somebody's page and go look at one of their reels from two years ago and I'm in it and I sort of relive that moment just by going to do that, I don't know if I'm necessarily reliving it. Yes, I'm technically reliving it because it happened two years ago, but mm-hmm. I really didn't even get time to process it, right? The way I feel like a lot of times when before social media, you didn't see these pictures again until you intentionally went to go look for them. Mm-hmm. which probably happened, you know, five years after, 10 years after, right? Yeah. Nowadays, we're looking at pictures from undergrad, which was, you know, five years ago. And we just looking at them every other day because they'll come through on somebody's timeline or somebody's throwback Thursday or somebody's flashback mm-hmm. Friday. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, bro, let me let that moment die so <laughs> I can at least bring it back later, right? If we don't let it die and rest mm-hmm. and get away, it, that's always on our minds, And I think a lot of times that becomes the hard part about, you know, bad pictures or bad memories as well, right? Because we're talking about good ones, but that one memory from that one night that we don't want to relive, guess what? It's always right there for somebody to always bring up. And I think a lot of content creators made me think of this because content creators talk about how they put things online and it might've been two years ago, but if somebody first found that content today, for Mm -hmm. them, it's brand new. Yeah. Right. And so they I think somebody gave me the example of a breakup. They posted about a breakup that might have been two years ago. Somebody just found their page today. Since you you better you better break up with that. Like whatever the case is, they can't that moment doesn't never end. And I think that's one of the harmful things about social media is while it's great to relive your great moments. Hey, I got this trophy. I got this award. You also are forced to constantly relive the negative moments, too. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a good point. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I agree. I definitely, definitely took it to the pool pill on that one, brother. I don't <laughs> right. After that. Um, but no, I fully agree, especially the um the the part you mentioned, Corey, about uh not really nostalgic. I'm thinking about I'm trying to think of the right word, um, but the concept of taking a picture, photo album, not seeing it for 10, 15 years, like that's always, I mean. Those are always still some of the best moments. I just seem, even for like me, just in our own personal life, just seeing a baby picture you never seen yep. before. I'm like, damn, like, what was this? Where was I? Fact, like, facts. How long has this picture been existing? No one ever showed me. Uh, this is always what, like, what was, what was that in the background? The auntie that you never seen before? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, it, and then you, you know? see her, she's like, do you remember me? I'm like, I low key do remember what you look like now because I've seen the picture, <laughs> but I don't remember who you are now. Like, <laughs> exactly. And that's even to that point, just seeing where our parents, aunties, uncles, everybody used to look like back then, times we couldn't remember. Um, that's always something that's missing from today. Uh, I think, I mean, hey, even Snapchat wouldn't give us like a year before you're like, hey, remember you were doing this? <laughs> you know, remember you was here just down the third from that long. But mm-hmm. does it, I think yeah, social media helped it for the better sometimes too. Um, and I even, this is even me agreeing with Corey, fully agreeing with Corey's point, points. Uh, I do, I do think that it encourages people to be more proactive about memory taking and stuff like that. I feel like we do talk about. I'm trying not to get into negative sides. I feel like I talk about negative stuff with social media too often. It is. I think it is. Show, show us some yeah. love. Show us some love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do think it's good when people, you know, share pictures and images, and they're just very open about it. Um, and it does help us. It also helps us just like be able to see the world differently through other people's eyes and how they capture things too. Um, mm-hmm. so I do think it's that's helpful for the belt. I think also it makes a lot of people more comfortable because it's just normal now to take a picture and post it. It's normal to, to take your phone now, take a picture anywhere now. There's not really much to say about picture taking decorum <laughs> anymore. Like, you know, just, yeah. just, you're at a restaurant, take a picture, you know, you get the food, come out, put your flash on, <laughs> video the whole meal. Like, you know, like, you know, people don't really have like the same type of, uh, apprehension to uh, being public about like you know oh we need to go outside step off the curb and you know take it take the group pic and go back inside people would pull up the phone right at the table like you know we just take the picture everywhere and make things become more captured as more of a cultural uh, norm and i do think that's better for all of us honestly we should be more i mean i don't know i don't know about like you know I, i'm still thinking about Corey's point about because we 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 revisit these pictures these videos so often that it's like we're always living the moments um I have nothing to say against it. No, no stance or for or against it. It's just interesting. interesting yeah. No, nah, I mean, to Corey's point for that, I'll argue that it's not, I don't mind it because I think it keeps a fresh lineage of what is going on, right? Now, I, I believe I have a great memory. I think I have a fantastic memory. Like, if there's like a top five all-time memory of things that happen in your individual life, I think I'll be able to do that. My, like, I'm top five, 
like just across everybody. Like let everybody remember their own life. I'm top five. Like I can do it pretty well. Like I can remember things wrong too. I think I'm great. But I think the order you get, I think it's harder to like them years start clashing, those months start clashing. Like, oh man, was that I mean we do it now. Oh man, like we used to talk about the UConn championship. We're trying to figure out if it was 2011 or 2012. Like I think the human mind naturally just kind of generalizes things more and more as they get older. And I think Mike Bay just pointed the Snapchat feature. I think I, I wouldn't even say you get you're generous. You said a year. They tell you at the end of the month all your memories. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. And then they do it for the year. And then each day of the week, they're like, oh yeah, you took this random snap story, uh, August or uh, April 8th. 2012 do you remember it and you're like oh shoot like that's crazy i think but i think it helps with memory. there's no proof of this no science behind this but i think it helps at least with my even more from memory retention like i can see that moment i know exactly where i was now i have the date and the year and the time and i can put things together in my head so i think it's nice um but to, i think it does make it harder to live in the moment just a little bit but i think it's just as much tension that you take it because i don't get the same snap memories or whatever four or five times, probably the fourth or five time, fifth time I actually look at it and be like, oh, shoot. Like, remember this? Like, I'm not going to send the, the the video every time we went and got drunk and we all send her laughing at Hockey Keen. But it's like every once in a while, you might see it like, oh, man, that was eight years ago. Like, that's crazy. So I think it's helped it for the better in, in regards to you can kind of just see the full story of what you've been doing. The frequency is debatable, but... I think now that the fact that you just get a combination of photos and videos, a lot of phones, especially iPhone, can identify people's faces. So you're seeing you're like, oh, shoot, I got Corey in this one and Michael's in this one, this different day. So I, I like the idea of having like this historical record of things you've done with pictures and videos, because I don't even think when we took snaps necessarily, like we thought about, I'm going to save this. I don't think I saved most of any of my snaps that I put on my story back in like 2014 or 2015 so it's weird they collected that data but like hence back you know six or seven years later i'm like hey you remember you posted this on your story i'm like oh shoot i was in high school i didn't even think about it. like I, I forgot about this entire experience and now it's kind of like a down quick run down memory lane which i think is pretty dope so i don't know i think we're going to see how see how things play out because cameras are only going to get better um, the technology of which they have you relive your moments only get better. And so maybe in five, 10 years, we'll change your mind and say, this is an overload of memories. Um, so I think the bad part is you have pictures of bad times and they keep popping up. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's, I mean, I that's like the you, one. You can't, you can't pick and choose. So I think that's the hard part. Mm -hmm. So uh, not switching gears, but kind of looking at it from a different lens. Cause we kind of talked about this already in terms of like, what do you do when you're getting like, unsolicited pictures or videos that kind of like make its way to the internet. So a lot of the gym videos have been very popular of like either like a woman saying there's a man stalking in the gym. I think we talked about that before, or like watching them work out. We've seen other videos of people making fun of people at the gym and things of that nature. But I think you can extend that past just the gym in terms of like you see people walking and recording a video of the fit or what they're wearing, or how they walk. Like how do you, how do we combat that if there's a way to combat it? And I guess, how do we move forward in terms of like not looking so quick to pull our phones to show somebody what we just saw? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I think social media has done a lot when it comes to everybody is able to be a reporter. So for lack of a better term, right? everything is able first of all everything is content right i don't know who said that but i've heard that phrase a lot everything is content but i think also everybody is whether whether it's a reporter from like a formal news thing like hey this car accident happened let me report this to you know the local authorities or whatever to make sure this person's safe or whether it be from a tmz thing yo this person tripped over a rock let me post this and get a lot of likes mm -hmm. everybody is a reporter because of their phone, because of social media, because of the internet. And so I think it's going to be almost impossible to prevent things like unsolicited videos, you know, unauthorized videos of someone being leaked or posted or presented or, you know, when things go viral, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if y'all remember, there was like a viral video where the kid told his mother that he made a bad sandwich, that she made a bad sandwich when he got off the bus. Yeah. <laughs> The kid, yeah, the, the kid, the kid is like fifteen now or something. But mm -hmm. 
But the video oh, is is when he was like five, four or five, and it just it just went viral. Somebody found it and started reposting it again. Nah, so again, that like, video's hilarious, yo. So like, you can't really control how that stuff happens, and so I think you won't. So I think this goes back again. We talked about it a little bit already, but you really can't control what happens once things like that are out there. Mm-hmm. And so is the answer to say, hey, always think that you're being recorded, right? Because you don't want to live your life like that either. And so, you know, how do you find that middle ground to be comfortable with one of your most embarrassing videos being viral to the point, but also don't walk around on eggshells because you're too, you're like, you're scared of having a drink spill on your shirt and somebody, you know, laughing at you on Facebook, right? So what what is the middle ground? I don't know if there's an answer, to be honest. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there is one. I don't, I don't think there's much you can do. I mean, I know some gyms have like a new policy now, like oh, you can't uh, record in like certain open uh, workout uh, areas and stuff like that. But I don't know. There's not really much you can do. Everybody got a camera now. Having a smartphone with a camera, that's just that's just normal. It's just like, everyone has one, no matter how much money you do or don't have. Yeah. Everyone has a camera on your phone, and any little thing can trick off anybody to be like, oh, I'm about to about to record this. You you can be arguing at the table, oh, somebody recording in the back, or they just like you know, you just never know where you're getting caught. Anything, and I think in public, people have a legal right to take pictures or record anything they want if you're in a public space or venue. So it's just the world we live in. I mean, I'm not saying I don't think it's like a, we're living under like quote unquote hyper surveillance in this context, but no, living that culture overall, and just having. I mean, I mean you can't even you can't even, you can't walk past somebody's house. You don't know if they ring cameras on. You can just do whatever, like you know. There's cameras yeah. literally everywhere now that's and, true yeah you know i i like of course i don't know if it's like you have to always assume that you're getting recorded but you might have to you might you know you, know, you just gotta watch what you're doing in some places in some areas or you know especially if you're like at a concert or you know somewhere where people just are gonna take their phones out like you just never know so i don't think you can do much to combat it at this point mm-hmm. um people are gonna take pictures and people are gonna feel like they have the right to take their phone out and record whatever they want they pay for yeah. your phone honestly you can't turn on your camera and start a video mm-hmm no, I, I agree with you. I don't know if there's an outright way to combat it. I think about two different things. I think one, you're going to see more and more policies about phone usage and like spaces like gyms and open spaces where it's become more problematic to record people with like without their consent, even though it's public place. I think the second thing, though, this is this is interesting, right? And so don't let me run away too far with this, but just a thought. I think there, there's going to be not incentivized, but just like a push for people to edit out other people in their pictures. I think you've been seeing a lot of that with the Google commercial they've been doing where they're like, hey, mm. look at my magic eraser and you just literally can edit out seven or eight people in the background. And it was just you who was there. Um, I think they're going to start pushing those technologies more because you can do that in Photoshop, but it's complicated as hell. If I could just open my picture and swipe my finger and somebody disappears. Hey, and like that doesn't go towards necessarily like you recording someone, but like you're taking a, a picture outside in the middle of Paris and everybody's walking by you and you're like, you know what, let me just get a lot of these people out of here because they're messing up my picture and they probably don't want to be in the picture anyway. You know what I'm saying? So I think you're going to see start seeing more and more like technology like that that just says, hey, we can isolate you in this picture. So it's just you. Right. Um, and then they ask tricky of, oh, I'm, I'm the only person here. No, you're not. We get into like this artificial deep fakes and all that other stuff. But I think that's what it's going to go towards because how that you can incentivize people not taking pictures of you, I think you can only push them towards something they might want. And that's, hey, I want to take pictures and I don't want anybody else in my picture but me. And that's something people want. Do you think think there's going to be more technology or programs or uh, service providers that focus on allowing you to be able to remove videos from certain websites as well, right? To the point where... No, you don't think so? No, I don't think so. One is a waste of technology. Like, because you, mm. you think about it, somebody has to own that technology and to have it search and take down, like, unless that's government owned and the government already wastes too much money as it is, I don't think they will do that. Because, mm. um, again, I, unless like somebody wants to pay for it, and I don't know how you incentivize a consumer to say, hey, I want you to take down all the videos of me off the internet. Because who's like, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't think that'll happen, at least in my perspective. So I could be wrong. But I mean, but I mean, I think you'd be surprised, right? With the embarrassing videos that you know are posted of people on their worst moments, I think of you'd course. be surprised how many people would be incentivized to to pay for stuff like that. But yes, well, they would have to identify the videos, though, right? That's I'm true. thinking about yeah. like just in general, like identify or unidentified. Identify videos, yeah, and I think 
even to like you know Facebook started doing when you can untag yourself from photos and stuff like it's it's gonna move in that way, but I don't know how much how deep it would get right. Okay, it's gonna it has to get farther enough where like there's change, but not too far where people feel like they can't have their online experience that they want and they move away from the application. Because gotcha. you always have to remember that all it takes is one thing and a new social media is here that takes somebody's user base of two, three, four hundred million. Right. Like 16 years ago is just Facebook. It's 2023. Now there's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's TikTok, there's Snapchat still, there's still Instagram. Um, Pinterest is still there. But I know a lot of people still interest. YouTube has shorts as if they're TikTok. Like there's so many things where like if you mess up your customer base, somebody's yeah. gonna snatch them up. Real quick, yeah. Yeah. That's so true. yeah. Um, that's all I had in terms of taking pictures. I would encourage the audience to take more pictures, share videos, um, and just enjoy life to the fullest. But don't sit there and record every moment that you wake up and eat. It's unnecessary. Uh, moving on to table talk, we have a question that our resident Philly guy, Mike Reed, will answer. Um, has Just Wanna Rock surpassed Dreams and Nightmares as a song for Philly? And I guess I wouldn't, I wouldn't say global. I'm just going to keep it at Philly. We'll say, we'll say party slash Philly. So two-part answer. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no because um, we were actually outside when Dream and Nightmares <laughs> came out. Uh, we were actually in clubs. We were actually in places. And not only is Dreams and Nightmares a classic hip-hop song, it's arguably one of the best intros to an album. No, arguably. It's, it's just the best, bro. Yeah. Call, call it is. You know, there are two hip-hop albums like, we've ever, that we've ever seen. I don't think people can even name other songs off of his Dream and Nightmares album that that song was on. Um, his uh, debut album, Meek Mills, mm -hmm. um, for one. But also, I just think that I'm not hearing... How many rap songs did you know that has people rapping three full verses in the club? <laughs> like you know, just start to finish, uh, through and through. But I do think that with no chorus, mind you, <laughs> literally, uh, through a beat change and then all the way to the end of it too. Um, but at the same time, I do think "Just My Rock" is a very popular song. Of course, I do think it benefits a lot from the TikTok era that we live in, and how songs mm -hmm. get a lot of traction that way. I do think it's very famous. I mean, not famous. I do think it's very um, it's very formidable. As in, like, it's so catchy. It's so like and. and Kids love that song. My niece loves that song. <laughs> like just one rock. They just they the dance is so simple. They get their hips going crazy. Like it's a really it is a really catchy and like upbeat song. And mm -hmm. um, I just don't know because of like the whole TikTok thing, like kind of fast moving era the music industry is in right now. Are we still gonna be talking about the song a year from now? Mm, that's the only thing that needs to answer. That's my only. That's my main point. I don't know. Are we still gonna be? Because there's gonna be another song out by a year now. I don't know if this song was even popular for the last year. As far as I, as far I don't know. I actually don't know when it came out last year. I can't even know. It came out I last love Uzi. year. No offense. I'm not the, the you know dance person, so I'm not, I wasn't too into this song. But I'm not, mm -hmm. I, I wasn't even sure when, like when it came out. But I, if we're still talking about this two years from now and just when the rock is still in the club, great. It's a great song. It has you know still mm -hmm. stood the test of time. I just am not sure if we're gonna be still having the same conversation next year. Yeah, it, it came out last year. I remember people talking about it, like, "Oh, y'all not really outside. Y'all haven't heard Just Wanna Rock." And I'm like, "If it's not playing outside everywhere, then maybe it's just not playing songs anywhere." But I'll digress, Corey, and I'll let you slide in. Um, I don't got nothing, Mike. Mike, you got nothing. Oh, I don't got nothing. I'm gonna add my three cents because DJ Drama said this, so this looks like artist propaganda because Uzi's one of his artists, obviously. Mm -hmm. So of course he's gonna hype that up. But I think the only thing is, and this is just in my opinion, like we got, we got, we're gonna have to see. Forget two years. I I gotta see where it is five years from now, because Dreams and Nightmares came out in what, like twenty thirteen, if I'm not mistaken. Twenty twelve. Well, was twenty twelve or twenty thirteen? Twenty eleven and twenty twelve. That's what. Yeah. Well, twenty twelve. Dream Station Two was twenty eleven. I feel like or twenty twelve, and I can remember it came out after Dream Station Two. So I think it was twenty twelve. Yeah. Yeah. So we're 10 years from now, and to Mike's point, verses on verses with no chorus and the B switch still plays. So even people who don't know the words know the song to like Ray Know What Time is this type of thing. I just I have a hard time believing a song that's dancey like that will be ever be bigger than Juice Nightmares from a hip hop perspective. It might be a better dance song. And I, I would never refute that. But I don't, in my opinion, and this place that I've been in, where you got a lot of brothers, a lot of sisters who may or not be dancing people, that song comes on is they just know the song. Because there's no lyrics to it. It's 
Sorry, sorry. Just wanna rock. Like you know, it's cute. You do that one time. The song is like a minute eighty or minute fifty or something. Like the song's not even long. They might not even play the whole song when it comes on. So it's like, yeah, it's real catchy. You get the hips moving, your arms move. You're gonna do everything, but I just don't. I don't see the sustainability in that. And for me, I don't know. Again, I don't live in Philly. That's why I throw it in. I don't know how popular it is in Philly for it to be declared that. So I see the music video, the music video, tough as hell, but I don't, I haven't been to a Philly club to say, oh yeah, when, when that song comes off or Dreams and Nightmares, it bodies it. I just don't know. So I, just, I don't believe that. <laughs> Philly, loves me, Philly loves me, no, to the T. And I don't think that would be true. So we'll watch and we'll see how everything plays out. Thank y'all for a good table talk. Thank y'all for a good topic. We are going to jump right into Pass the Aux as soon as we get these sounds going. Episode 118 of Pass the Aux. I see a lot of R&B on my screen. Who is going first? I can go first if y'all want. Yeah, you go first. I bet. Um, my song is from Baby Rose. Her album that dropped, I want to say, three weeks ago, give or take. It's called Through and Through. I mean, the album's called Through and Through. The song is called Stop the Bleeding, Baby Rose. for the wicked no light in the dark no words for the silence no peace to be found you take my breath away you take my love away take all that's left of me How do I stop, stop the bleeding? How do I stop, stop the needing? How do I stop, stop repeating? The cycle, the cycle of sabotage. Life shouldn't be this hard. Whenever I get this far. Repeating the cycle, the cycle. Pain is at my window. The storm is at my door. Your sorry is my weakness. Leaves me wanting more. Stop repeating the cycle. 
That is Stop the Bleeding by Baby Rose. The album's called Through and Through. I still gotta listen to it, but I really like this song, so make sure you check it out. I could go next. Um, so my song is called uh Preach, and it is by the artist Black or Six Lack. I think he said it's black, so we're gonna go with black. Uh, the song is called Preach. I know they love it when I talk that shit. It's really smoke, so you gon' wheeze for a second. Help them breathe for a second. Still starving like I need for my seconds. Trying to find my stroke. It won't take that long. That was Black. Uh, the song was called Preach. Make sure y'all check that out. Yeah, you know what's funny? I only gave that album, like, I think, one or two listens, but that was one of the songs I added. I really liked it a lot. So shout out to Black. And last but not least, I have Always by Daniel Caesar. Always by Daniel Caesar. Yo, you know what's funny? I was listening to another song. I didn't know the album dropped, but I peeped the album cover art, so I, I wanted to go look. And the album really dropped today, and I think I was listening to a song called Shot My Baby. It's one of those star ones on Apple Music. But I haven't got to listen to the whole thing. But Daniel Caesar makes some fire-ass army music for a brother. So. He does. Can't take that away from him. And so this song is now in the library, and it will be on the playlist. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for another episode of after dinner conversations again like rate subscribe review please we always looking for feedback and love wherever we can get them so um make sure y'all keep listening we appreciate y'all love Conversation.